Welcome into the 12th edition of the Big Red Louie podcast. I'm pretty sure my mom and my grandma and Grandma D might have been the only ones who believed that we'd make it to the 12th episode, but we are here. I'm your host, Jacob Lane, joined tonight by Presley Meyer. What's going on? <laughs> and Alex Stingle, how are you guys? God, Presley's so awkward. I know, man. He wanted to man. say something so cool, like the way he leaned into the mic speaking and nothing of, came out. Speaking of cool, we got your brother right now. On brother the Blake. Hey, how we doing? It's going to be really hard to discern whether or not I am Presley or I am Blake because we sound very similar. Except for you have a much more powerful voice. You do. It's a little bit deeper. Wow. I think it might be. <laughs> I think it's because he doesn't have a beard and Presley does. I've I been working we gotta, on it. we got to balance out the beard power. This is no shave for a week. It's very sad. You wow. can't see anything. I see some. No, there's some blondes there's little, down there. There's some down chain. there. Yeah. yeah. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, I am 21 years old. I... Wow, I would have thought you were like 25. Yeah, that oh. that's the first shocking stat. <laughs> oh, yeah. Keep going. Keep going. Yeah, I know. I think there's much more. Um, I don't, I don't know. When it comes down to it, I I just like doing RT things. But I've been following Louisville Athletics my entire life. It's hard not to when you're in a household with Presley. What do you do um, for a living? I am a server. Where uh, at California Pizza Kitchen? At a uh, Selena's Willow Lake Tavern. Okay. Ooh. Been um, there a couple times. Yeah, like that place. Got some uh, Creole Italian fusion going on. That is wild. Some good stuff. But yeah, that. I'm a, more of like the artsy side of Presley. If, I, if Presley was artsy instead of sporty, it would probably be me. Have you so. ever played golf? I have. Are you good? No. Okay. Right. I am the only He's person in my family. <laughs> <laughs> At least you can admit it, man. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm totally okay with admitting that. It's not my forte. Um, what are you good at? Like, what's your favorite thing to do? Man, I like... Do you like painting? No, I, I'm no. a photographer. Okay, photographer. That yeah. and uh, I like mixing music, DJing. Nice. Um, and we don't have a custom intro. Why? Yeah, what the hell, Presley? <laughs> All right. You've been sitting Episode on your brother. 13. Episode Blake's, 13. Blake's bringing us in hot. Brother Blake. We'll make it happen. Brother Blake. Brother, <laughs> you better be called DJ Brother Blake. Like, that's all I'm saying. Like, <laughs> DJ BB. All right, so to start off the yeah. show, we decided to do something new this week. So oh I pulled up some kids' sports trivia questions. Um, Blake's knowledge is not super vast on, in the sports world. So I, I think you're going to be able to answer some of these, though. How many I'm questions? Stupid, oh, I don't though. know. It, it's like one of those where you like click on it and it goes to the next okay. one. So right. here's the first question. Are you I am ready? prepared. First off, 10 questions. What's the over-under for you? Oh, I'm going to go. He's gonna I, don't, I haven't seen them, so I don't know. If they're very basic. Like, like the, okay, here's the first one. Let me hear the first question. Okay. Uh, what is the name of the championship series that the NBA has to end the, the playoffs? What? Hold on. What? You Did you want the options here? No, no, no. Don't give them the options. Oh, okay. No, read the question again. Okay. Sorry, I did a end, terrible at job At the end with of that. the NBA playoffs, what is the final series called? Like, if we were you saying... The this. NBA finals. Yeah. Okay, okay, yeah. Okay, yeah. It's but not one of those things that that's is, like, very one. specific, no, no, yeah. though. Okay. But you like might have... Like the, like you the gave him the answer, though. You said, what's like the that? final series oh, called? Oh, I know. I know. That's okay. where he tripped me. Yeah. Yeah. So these these yeah. might be weird. That's, that's what the pause was. Don't judge okay. me too much yeah. for not knowing. This is like the cats testing when you were a kid. Like, don't overthink the answer. Exactly. I test very well, so you should know that. All right. I don't know the answer to this one. I was about to say, does... Oh, I do know the answer to this one. What is the line judge in tennis called? Line judge in tennis. Yeah. I know this one. I literally just watched Wimbledon. Okay, what I is it called? Can you give me the options? No, 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 no. You have to guess. No, okay, what's okay, the guy who stand, sits in a chair? What's he called? Court Martial. <laughs> is that an option? <laughs> I, don't I love that. Do you okay. know what? It, hold on. No, no. Do you know right, what the answer is? is? I wouldn't know the answer unless I, I looked at it. I with line judge, honestly. That, mm. that's, okay, no, honestly, okay. So I thought I knew it, but I'm not sure now. So I'm pretty sure it's Yeah, it's umpire. It's umpire, right? Yep, it's it's umpire. It's umpire. Okay. So, that was, so these that's are a really wouldn't have gotten yeah. that one, but yeah. Okay. Got here we go, here we go, here we go. 
Which golf club would you use to hit the ball the furthest? Driver. There you go. Uh, I think that was the easy babe. one. Better believe it. All right, all right. Brother Blake. Let's see. <laughs> Baseball players stand in a certain area while they're waiting to play. What is this area called? Batter's box. Oh, no, it's not the batter's box. <laughs> Hold on. You Hold said on. that with such confidence, well, dude. I was that thinking, was... okay, I think okay. Yes. you didn't yeah. finish it. That was right. my initial Yeah, that's run. what I was thinking, too, but now that I see the answer, It's answers. like where they're warming up and swinging the bat. Right, right, right. Uh, right outside the No, 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 no. That, that's, they're talking about... Where are they? Where? Okay, yeah. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, the dugout. These might be too easy. Yeah, I think they might be. Well, you looked up for children. Well... We we didn't know we didn't know how hard they Sorry. did. All right, all right. Uh, what is soccer's international championship games called? The women just finished theirs. Oh, the World Cup. Hey. Okay. Cool. 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 Okay. Okay. Hold on. Let's look up. Okay. So give give me a second. Let me do some research here. We okay. want to find some legit questions. Anybody have a question for Blake? Shoot. I think he should just be upset that you're you're really thinking like he's on the level of of children's. Like sports, well, I, I sports wanted to start IQ. out with. Some, well, I'm walking into a sports podcast balls. here. You, yeah. you got to have a benchmark at least, right? Yeah, I mean, I guess we're warming. I want to know. I missed like, one. What's I missed the, one. You know, what's the latest thing you've mixed music-wise? Ooh, I've been missing mixing a lot of uh, deep house. Ooh. So like, I, I really enjoy um, trance and like techno and things like that, which is completely out of a lot of people's realm, and I understand that, and that's why I enjoy it so much. Is that the culture behind um, that sort of music yeah. is very exciting to me because I've never seen these like type of music before and it really hit home for me. I just like making people move. If you like dance like people dancing really big to me, I've been like almost fifty concerts this year, so like it's really so kind of my like, kind of thing. You're a journeyman. I like Yeah, that. for yeah. sure. Presley you, you went from easy to hard man. He's hard to get these. You said you like p- making people move. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just thinking about the logistics that I'm about to get married next year, and you're my roommate. Yeah, are you gonna be? Are you gonna be his his DJ? I don't uh, know. I mean, like, no, he's not already hired a DJ. Oh, you missed out. Highly disappointing because I would have played nothing but really weird music. Yeah, just you, you could have had awkward. freaking DJ Brother Blake, man. What do you mean? <laughs> if anybody's out there needing a wedding DJ, my man DJ Brother Absolutely Blake. Absolutely not. <laughs> I mean, nothing says love like Deep House. Yeah. Yes, in my mind. exactly. <laughs> All you right, know? ask him something. He's not going to get Who has the most wins as a head coach in the NFL? In the George NFL. Hollis, Curly Lambeau, Tom Landry, Don Shula. I'm going to have to say Don Shula because he's the only one that I actually know. Wow, <laughs> right. you got that right. Yeah. Which well, NFL team features a helmet decal only on one side of the helmet? The Houston Texans, Jacksonville Jaguars, Pittsburgh Steelers, and the Tennessee Titans. What was the first one again? Texans. It's the uh, Steelers. Yeah, that's actually what I was going to say. You're yeah. right. Yeah. Two wow. for two, man. I knew that one. Who was the last nice. non-quarterback to win NFL MVP? Sean Alexander, oh, that's an easy one. Ray Lewis, Adrian Peterson, LaDainian Tomlinson. Adrian Peterson. Bad My man boy. is three for hey. three. Wow. DJ Brother Y'all Blake in the house. Yeah, okay. He I'm said, feeling pretty good about myself. What child question? It's kind of hot. Yeah. I'm on this, fire. This current NFL quarterback, a 2010 Pro Bowler, mm. never started a game in college. Oh, that one's easy, too. Matt Schaub. Matt Castle, Matt Moore, Matt Flynn. I'm only aware of Matt Castle and Matt Flynn as being quarterbacks in the NFL at the moment. But I want to say Matt Flynn because I don't know who he is, but I'm going to say Matt Castle because I'm wow, right, man. Wow, man. Well, you need to sign up for, like, who wants to be a millionaire? I seriously. Right yeah. right, so these are getting increasingly harder. Okay. How many Heisman Trophy winners have gone on to be MVP of the Super Bowl? Two, three, four, or five? Four. Total guess there. Oh, my God. (laughs) All right. Give this man one more question before he takes over our show. This is amazing. For for the first five picks in the 18... Wow, the 1890... 
1989 draft, Troy Aikman, Barry Sanders, Derek Thomas, and Deion Sanders all are all in the Hall of Fame. Oh, yeah, this one's easy too. Who was the bust? Is it Andre Bruce, Keith McCants, Blair Thomas, or Tony Mandrick? Tony Mandrick sounds right to me. I don't know why, but I, I recognize that name. That's unreal. This dude just got every question right. Yeah. All right. I'm I'm well versed in sports when it comes down to like random topics. So Blake, I want you to send me your schedule, and we are <laughs> going to find a trivia night around town that actually like gives out gift cards or prizes. Yeah, that's so right. Let's make are, some trivia. You Let's are make it happen. straight up on fire. What you? I'm a big fan. So we got like nine out of ten, right? Like that. You actually really got like 10 out of 10. I mean, he, besides I the one, right. except for the first one, I don't think he would have gotten that if you wouldn't have given him the answer. Yeah. So, okay. Sure, yeah. Okay. I was going to pick the over the whole time. I'll take the 9 out of 10. Oh, I'm not right. even mad about that. I was going to say I was going to get 7 out of 10, something like that. So, pretty proud. All right, time to talk a little bit of the hot topic around here. Louisville football camp is officially underway as of Saturday, right? Sunday? I can't, Sunday. I can't, Sunday. Sunday. It's an Sunday, odd day Sunday. to start camp. Uh, let's bring in Keith Wynn, deputy editor of Card Chronicle, friend of the show. Keith, since last time we talked, man, you were out here doing radio for three hours, man. I I, I knew that we were going to be a jumping off point, but I didn't I didn't think you were going to get that famous on us. Yeah, I know, right? That kind of <laughs> caught me off guard. I was, you know, literally sitting here and, you know, get a text like, hey, you want to do the show tomorrow? And I was like, you mean like the whole show? <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> sure, I, yeah, I guess I can make that work, so... Yeah, it was definitely cool. It, 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 it's always interesting. I, you know, I'm, you know, I've been doing this for a few years now, and doing radio is still just kind of a completely different world for me. So, but it was a, it was definitely a good time. Do you get nervous when you go in that studio? So, a little background about me: I used to work there and uh, at iHeart for about a year and a half, and would do the show with Howie every once in a while. And every time I sat down in there, it was I just got like sh- like shaky, nervous, and I don't know why. I mean, I could sit here and talk sports with somebody for hours, but there it was like I had to like pull it out. It's 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 kind of intimidating in a sense when you walk in there. It's really nice. Like you walk into the building and it's like a really nice building and everything looks nice and pristine and people have offices and all that. And it's like you just feel out of place because you're just like some random dude. But um, you know, like doing doing the show with Mike is easy because we know each other um, and we can kind of go back and forth with each other and joke around a little bit. Uh, it'd probably be hard to do it with somebody I didn't know well, and I'd be more nervous. But he does. He has a good way of just keeping it so light that you just kind of feel like you're just talking with a buddy. So, uh, so yeah, it, you know, the first time I was in there, yeah, but you know, it, it got a little. It's getting a little easier as I do more more radio. Yeah, absolutely. Well, there's a lot to talk about for the first time in what feels like forever with football finally being here. I mean, I feel like for the last four months we've been breaking down literally every angle, whether it's the third string's third string or the the backup quarterback, the quarterback competition, something that Satterfield said at a golf outing. So it's nice to actually have football to talk about. I mean, you know, we, we're going to actually be able to watch these guys put pads on and hit each other and finally figure out who is doing well, who's going to go where. And it, and for me, Preston, I mean, you and I, we spend hours and hours. Keith, you're in the same boat, spending hours of breaking down film and, and being able to kind of put that into writing. And now to actually have football happening to write about, to me, it brings me so much joy. Yeah, it's definitely a lot of fun, man. I mean, this is the best time of the, time of the year. You know, it's because it's you can't wait till summer's over and it's almost there. You know, you, you know that's the best thing is that, you know, you, you spend this whole summer and you're just trying to find things to – talk about to write about and like you said you're just hanging on to every little tidbit of information 
and now there's actual real stuff to talk about, real stuff to write about, and and that's just it's just so much. I don't know. This is just the best time of the year to me, uh, and especially with this new staff and bringing some more fun and life back into the program. I, I'm excited for it because I, to, to me, the last five years have just been kind of just it's just dull, especially during the summer. But I think this new staff has a lot of energy and a lot of fun stuff going on to, to at least get you excited about the season. I literally can't envision Bobby's staff running around with paintball guns in 90-degree heat <laughs> and calling it team fun. Uh, so I definitely agree with the uh, the energy part of that. Uh, and just to jump right in, I'm, I'm sure you've already listened to Satterfield's initial presser on uh, on the start of camp, and he's got a lot of uh, a lot of quotes to discuss. So was there anything about that initial presser um, of anything Satterfield said that kind of jumped out to you specifically? Um, you know, I was, I, I liked that, um, I liked his, his, his kind of demeanor and approach to it. I know that sounds weird, but, you know, I think he's been really big on trying to build these guys up. Um, but at the same time, Satterfield and his entire staff have been very much just straight shooters. They don't really have this, you know, boring coach speak only kind of way of doing things. They just kind of say what's on their mind. Um, so I, I really like the fact that he's just flat out honest and he says that depth's our main issue and that, you know, we feel good about our first group and not so great about our second group. Right. And things like that are just good to hear because that's that's just flat out honest. I mean, I think that the first level of the depth chart, I don't think anybody can look at that and say, hey, they're in terrible shape. You know, I think they're in, in a solid spot even. And even when you look at the offensive line, they've got guys with experience. They've got guys that, you know, a guy like Caleb Chandler, who was a four-star, you know, offensive lineman coming out of high school, you know, Cole Bentley was a highly, you know, regarded guy. They have some guys there, but when you get behind those guys, you don't really have anything. And that, that goes for a lot of positions on, on, on the depth chart. And they, they've been pretty honest about that. So I, I, I thought that was great to hear him just be open and honest about it. Um, and I think he's done a good job of just kind of managing expectations. And I think that came out even in the press conference. Right. I, I definitely agree. Like I, I would, you know, as crazy as it sounds, I, I mean, I would put this front, this this first twenty-two guys, eleven on each side, up against a lot of teams in the ACC, and be pretty confident. Like, especially considering when you look at some of the guys who have not been put in places that they should be, um, who haven't gotten the chance to really kind of shine, like a Russ Yeast, a guy that these this staff is so excited about, Anthony Johnson. C, I mean, for me, C.J. Avery is the guy on this defense who I cannot wait to see. Rajay Burns on the offensive side, like you mentioned, Caleb Chandler, Cole Bentley. You have T.J. McCoy, who showed for two seasons when healthy that he is an SEC caliber center and they haven't had a, a scholarship center in what five years I mean like th they've been rolling walk-ons out the entire time Bobby was here so I, I think that there's a there should be a lot of optimism and, and at Big Red Louie all summer we have been trying to spell the notion that I think exists in the fan base that there's no talent like there is tons of talent on the first level a couple of guys on the second level you can make the argument for but behind that that's when it gets kind of scary yeah, and I, I think, you know, there are certain position groups that have guys that, you know, they're going to be fine even if they have an injury. You know, I think at running back, I, I think Hassan Hall is going to have a great year, but I think if he goes down or if he's ineffective or, you know, when he gets tired or things like that, they have guys behind them that we know uh, at, at least something about. And then they we, we also feel that, hey, they have talent. We, we saw these guys as recruits or we saw these guys play a little bit last year. But then you have other positions where, yeah, the, the second group is like, okay, I feel good about this guy, but 
maybe that's just, hey, that, that's, that's potential as opposed to what we know. And I think that's where they're trying to figure things out in this first couple of weeks of practice. Um, I think they're going to try to figure out who are the guys that we, that we know are second guys at these questionable spots. You know, you mentioned Rush Sheets. Even Brian Brown talked talk today at the practice, and he just flat out calls him a starter. I mean, he knows that Rush Sheets is going to be his strong safety. Um, you know, I think he has a question of whether Kane Pass or Isaiah Hayes is going to be the free safety. You know, those are the things that he's got to figure out. But there are guys that they feel very good about. There are other positions where there's true battles for the position. And then there's other positions where the guy behind they feel good about, they don't they don't know anything about. And and they, they're going to have to figure that out over the next couple of weeks. And I think there's guys, it's just we just don't know a lot about them. Yeah, to me, the most intriguing, you, you mentioned the camp battles. The positions to me that I think are kind of most up in the air right now, one being outside linebacker, outside of that card, Cardinal linebacker with Rajay Burns, but I, I mean that could go a number of ways with with uh, you know Boozy Whitlow, Yasir Abdullah, um, Gary McRae, PJ Blue. I mean they could go a couple of different ways. So that that is really exciting to me because you have guys there, and then the other one would be at cornerback. The depth chart really confused me, which it's probably what it was meant to do for a lot of people. I mean that that was a a media guy depth chart, but Anthony Johnson not being a starter racks my brain because. He was the best player on that defense down the stretch last year. And, again, I mean, they were so bad, I don't think that really means much. Uh, but he kind of – Keith, am I wrong that he fits a lot of what Brian Brown does at cornerback, being able to, to make plays on the ball, being quick, being long, athletic? I mean, he showed he's a playmaker. Yeah, I mean, to put it bluntly, I mean, when I watched their first game, uh, the first game I watched of App State once the, once the hire was made, uh, I mean, Anthony, Anthony Johnson was the first guy that popped in my head because I was like, all right, this guy – loves to play against the run. He's aggressive. He can get off blocks. Um, and he can play in that outside edge role that they utilize their defensive backs for, whether it be corners or safety. Those those guys are, are expected to get up the field and make plays at the line of scrimmage on the outside. So that's a huge part of stopping runs and also stopping quick pass plays, which we know teams rely on a lot now. But on top of that, playing in covers down the field, you know, you've got to be aggressive. you got to be able to – you got to be sticky – um, and Anthony Johnson's one of the few guys that showed that last year. That was one of the big issues last year is the guys were getting blown by uh, because they weren't aggressive off the line. They weren't aggressive when the guy got to the point where they were running even, and then, you know, they just got ran right by, whether it be Chandler Jones, you know, P.J. and Bannister, Rush East was in, in that same spot. Anthony Johnson was the only guy that was always sticky with his guy and was there to at least be be able to make a play on the ball, whether he made it or not. That's the key to this new scheme is that these guys have to, they're going to be out on an island. And it's going to, you got to be able to run with people. You got to be able to make a play on the ball, whether you're going against a 6'2 guy, a 5'10 guy, whatever it may be. And you look at the guys they had last year, their best, I think their corners they had last year were the best guys they've had um, since Brian Brown took over down there coaching their corners in Clifton Duck and Tay Hayes. And those guys played unbelievable and they, they made plays over and over and over again whether against the run or in the past and Anthony Johnson can do that I don't think anyone else has shown that they can do that consistently that's and, and I agree with you it's it surprising that he wasn't the first guy up. and you could you could go to the offensive side of the ball and look at a couple of different positions in terms of competition I mean and the biggest one being quarterback right now Keith I, I believe you from what I know about you you played football in high school is that correct 
Yeah, correct. Okay, so what? give us a little bit of insight into camp. I mean, I know it's a little bit different, obviously, going from high school to college, and you've not covered Scott Satterfield before, but what are they What are they doing with the quarterbacks right now? Like, what, what are they watching for? Like, kind of walk me through what you know, whether it's from what you've covered in the past, what you know about this group of, of coaches, and, and what you've been through in fall, fall camps before, what they're looking for like at a position battle like that. So for quarterbacks, you're really – quarterbacks are so different because drills don't tend to matter as much drills are drills are really more about just coaching fundamentals getting guys to understand what you want them to do whether it be in their dropbacks whether it be in the way that they they release all those like small things and it's more about really coaching those things and you're not really going to separate in your drills like you might if you're looking at defensive linemen uh, offensive line things like that where some things like how you, your hand placement matters so much more and how you drill is how you're going to play. And it's going to be so much different. At quarterback, it's really the seven-on-sevens and the scrimmage time. Uh, some people, you know, you might be called team or 11-on-11, however you want to term it. That's when you get to see decision-making. And especially with Scott Satterfield, he's made that pretty clear that decision-making is really what you want to see. Um, and even uh, you go back to Charlie Strong. And, and Sean Watson and those guys, that's what they were looking forward to. It, it's just when you get in those settings, you want to see if your quarterback can make those quick decisions, react to what the defense is doing, and make the right call. Because all of the arm talent stuff, it's just you have you know that whether you, the guy has it or not. That's going to be more about what your play calling might be. Say a good example of that is when you have Kyle Bolin, you might not call as many deep plays down the field because he doesn't have the great arm strength. So you're looking for more underneath stuff, um, but when you're when you're in a camp setting for a quarterback position, you want to see if this guy can make decisions against live defenses, um, and I think that's a really a really big key with this quarterback battle, because that is what we saw was the biggest issue last year was that none of the quarterbacks made quick, decisive, you know, uh, decisions. And it led to late passes. It led to taking sacks. It led to interceptions. It led to inaccurate passes because you're throwing into a sort of a larger window that was open two seconds ago. Now you're throwing into a, a, a you know, an, a small space. So what they're going to be looking for is to see who can make those decisions. And kind of a little bit of story time, I guess. Going back to when Charlie Strong was here, I, I used to love going to open practices and watch Teddy Bridgewater just pick apart the defense all practice long. I mean, he'd end up getting hitting 90% of his passes in, in practice because he was making those decisions so quickly. And we all know that Charlie Strong had good defensive players. He had They're practicing in the same setting, so they're trying different things. They're putting in plays just like the offense is, but Teddy could pick apart anybody. And when you got to Lamar, you could see some of those decisions, but you could see his, his progression from his freshman year on and how he improved on making those quicker decisions and making those more accurate passes. The issue that I saw with Juwan Pass was that he never he, – he had a hard time with that. And then we didn't get to see him preseason last year, but then you get in the games, you saw him look like I saw him in practice, where he might make a perfect throw 30 yards down, down the field, and then his next three throws could be just anywhere, just completely erratic. And that's where they're looking for him to, I think, improve. Uh, and then with Malik Cunningham, you're looking for him to just get there. He he just he runs so quickly before looking through everything that they're wanting him to stay in the pocket more and make those decisions at all. 
So I think he has a further way to go because he he, he kind of has that natural flight mindset that, hey, if it doesn't open really quickly, I'll just use my athleticism. Um, but Juwan Pass also has the, the factor of not always making the decisions as quickly as he needs to make them. And I think that's what they're going to be looking for in this camp setting. And sticking with the offensive side of the ball, uh, one thing, just a different position group that stuck out to me a little bit when Satterfield made the comment, um, you know, initially we were starting out with what, I think just only a couple tight ends. And I think he said um, at the start of camp, they're up to eight or nine now on the depth chart on, on tight ends. Um, besides Jody's photo of, of Jordan Davis looking pretty swole, what do you, what do you think in that depth does uh, with how Satterfield runs his offenses? Just knowing that we actually have, you know, more than just one or two tight ends to actually rely on. Kind of excited about what I've seen so far with how they've managed that. Um, Marshawn Ford is a really athletic kid. You know, he's one of the guys that got put on scholarship. Um, I think, you know, they feel really good about him. And I, I don't really – I remember in spring when we got to go see the spring showcase, he was the guy that stood out to me because, and I hadn't heard of him before. Um, I was expecting uh, some of the other guys to maybe step up and maybe be an option, but he was the first guy out there. So it really jumped out to me, but I, I think it's great that they found another option as that H-back role, that, that hybrid fullback tight end role they're going to have in this offense. The the new change they made just this past week, I think, is moving Tobias Little from running back to that H-back spot. That's something that I'm, I'm super excited about. I'm, I'm a – I've been saying that I've been saying that for months. Like it, it, to me, there was two guys who made sense to move to tight end. One of them I didn't think it was going to happen because he's so important in Seth Dawkins. But Tobias Little, it made so much sense to move him into a different role because of how big he is. If it's not him, it's Aiden Robbins. Tobias gives you a guy who's a little bit more proven, at least, right? Right, and they 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 even Petrino had him at a fullback role um, before he got injured. I think two years ago. Uh, and then last year he was kind of a, a backup running back and they didn't really use a fullback, but he had already kind of moved into a fullback type of role. And that's what that H-back role pretty much is. You're going to be blocking more than anything. You're going to get catch some passes out in the flat off of play action and things like that. But it's mostly a blocking role. You're not going to be carrying the ball unless they throw a wrinkle in there. But he fits that perfectly. Right. I mean, from a size standpoint, from a C, uh, speed standpoint, so he can catch the ball. I, I, I know that. So it only made, it always made sense, but they just never moved him. And I, I'm not sure if that was just because, hey, we're going to see what we have in the other guys that we have in this spot, uh, if, or if it's, hey, we're going to give you a shot at running back and see if you can, you know, crack the lineup. Uh, but I think that's going to be a better role for him. Uh, and, and him and Marshawn Ford can battle out. And also just, just having depth there, because after Marshawn Ford in that H-back spot, you pretty much maybe have Des Melton, who's a who's a true freshman, who's changing from running back to to tight end H back. You don't really want to rely on that guy coming out of high school. You, you know, the the goal it would be to have him redshirt, get his body the way you want it to be, and also to learn that role better because he's never played it before. The one dude. So I think that'll be a plus. You didn't mention. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just saying, talking about tight ends, uh, you're dropping all these names, but I thought Ian Pfeiffer might be a little bit interesting, just because, like you just said, a majority of the tight ends are going to be asked to to do a lot of blocking, and obviously he has, you know, a blocking background, especially in in the SEC. So I thought that might have been a little bit interesting, um, just him playing a tight end role. But like you, among everybody else, like no one's really even mentioning him now that 
the the tight end depth is added. It seems like he's just kind of on the back burner now that that now that we have all these other guys to talk about. And keep before you hop into that, I saw a picture of him today on. He was one of the guys that they posted a picture of on Instagram. The dude looks like a tight end. Like I, yeah, like I've I've seen pictures of him at Vanderbilt. He was you know he's an offensive lineman. The dude has slimmed down so much. Really. That he looks like, and Keith, yeah. you, you may or may disagree. He looks like a tight end. Like it's crazy. I would have never known he played offensive line. Yeah, he totally changed his body. Which I when when they when they first when I first heard that he was at least a, a target, and they were talking about, it, I was like, this doesn't make a lot of sense. This guy's two hundred eighty nine pounds. Like, how is he going to get into tight end shape, especially for this offense? This isn't a we want big two hundred eighty pound tight ends like some run offenses like, and they have like an extension of the offensive line. So. You know, you've got to be able to get down the field um, on on seam routes. You've got to be able to work in the flat out routes, and you've got to be able to catch the football. So I was like, okay, how's this going to work? Um, it's and, and him changing his body, I think, was a huge factor in them going after him uh, because he shows that he's dedicated to actually making that change. You know, he wanted to do this, and I think that they really decided, hey, this, this guy's going to drop 45 pounds and work on his body before we even bring him in the campus. He's obviously got an asset of being a blocker. He can play at the SEC level, which we know. Now we all, the only thing we don't know right now is whether or not he can catch the football right, and how he runs. And I think they – I would hope, you know, that Stu Holt and these guys aren't going out to watch this guy and having him work out and be like, oh, he can't do these things, but we'll make it work. I don't think they're that desperate for a tight end. Uh, I think there are other options that they could have – gone after they really put a focus on getting him so I think they really like what they see in him and I do think that in this offense you've got to be able to block more than you got to be able to catch the football as a tight end and that that's a plus I think for, for him going forward and you also have different sets that you have to be able to run you got to run two tight ends and sometimes three tight ends you have to have options there and you know putting another guy in there that you maybe don't feel good about or another walk on or something like that you know, you, you just really can't just – you can't go with that, at, at least in my opinion. Having him and Jordan Davis as options on that inline tight end spot, I think that's pretty good considering how they came into this roster. And just going off that, um, trying to think, because we've seen clips now, um, whether it's, you know, Satterfield talking to the tight end group or just talking to the team as a whole – it looks like some of the clips that Louisville football is starting to post out on Twitter will probably end up in this new show we're going to see uh, here in the next month. What I guess my – talking about all this depth, right, at certain positions and how they've they've done a great job of trying to even out the roster. When Satterfield kind of approached his team and on that one clip – I'm sure you've seen it, but uh, when Satterfield's talking about everyone needs to know their role, right, as a mm -hmm. college athlete – um, especially from a team that just went two and ten, and you have a brand new head coach in front of you talking about you might be, you know, a second or third string guy, but you have to accept that and excel at that. To in my mind, I, I feel like that might be a little tough to hear. It was like an eighteen, nineteen, twenty year old thinking you're awesome, and you know you're you're close to making a starting job or something. But what do, what are your thoughts on on that little clip? Because I mean, I I do believe like that's part of the culture change and you know that's really how you get a whole team to buy in and, and start going in the same direction but I thought that was interesting that they released that clip uh, especially at kind of the beginning of, of camp and, and beginning of everything for football well I think it's, a, it's the biggest 
if you listen to coaches around the country and their biggest complaint right now is having to manage the the I don't want to say ego but the mental aspect of the players and trying to make sure they they stick around and don't want to transfer out just because they're not the starter and things like that and I think that's just part it's part of the job it's, it's part of what's changed you know the it, it just in general that's just you know things change and you, any, you know coaching is no different than managing or whatever it may be and you've got to adjust to your team and the people your employees just like you had to, had to adjust to players and I think one thing that he's trying to make clear to everybody is that your role is just as important as the next role um, and there are guys that buy into that I mean you look at one of the guys that just left I think it was LaMarcus Thomas he was the guy that was a special team star he, he relished that role he loved that role Devontae Pete is a special teams guy. He enjoys going down and making big hits and making tackles. You've got to find guys that under – you've got to make sure guys understand that those – that that role is just as important as the starting quarterback, whatever it may be, and he's not wrong. You have to have guys that enjoy being scout team guys. If you're going to practice every week and you're going up against a quarterback that's a running quarterback, and you've got now uh, Christian Perez, who is a, a walk-on guy, who's probably going to be a special or a scout team guy. You have to, he has to understand that that role that week of making sure the defense gets a good look. Those things are important, and coaches really buy that stuff. But it's as a player, you need good practice. You need good practice reps. Those things are it is important, and you've got to find a way to make sure that the players understand that. And I think they release that because that is it, it's important. I think that's going to be a big thing for a bunch of guys on this team that maybe got a little bit of playing time last year and we're hoping that this year that, hey, new coach, I'm going to get my shot, and they're not going to get their shot. They're just going to be a backup guy. But they have to understand that you have to be ready. You never know if an injury is going to happen. Somebody's not going to play as well. And he's trying to motivate everybody to understand that, hey, your role is just as important. And, and I, I, I don't know. I love that stuff. Yeah, I'm, I- I'm kind of a – I'm a sap for that kind of thing. I think it's really cool. I agree. I've, and that's one thing I've been kind of contemplating the last couple of days is when you look at the roster, like they're not very deep, right? But when you look at a position like outside linebacker or defensive end where they, they have three guys there, a guy like Malik Clark who could probably be a starter at a smaller school and is going to be a backup regardless of how camp shakes out, like how do you prevent him from transferring? Because you need him. But you need him to be the best backup that he can be. So, like, a lot of this is is managing not only roles but egos and saying, like, you know, look, you're not going to start on this team, but we, we need you to be the best at this. And and for you, that's that's what you have to understand is that you have to do this. Like, that's so important. And I know for 19-, 20-year-old kids, that's not easy to understand. It's not. And I think another thing is that, I think long term you're going to see him do more of the kind of the the Clemson how they go about it, which is they play everybody. I mean, you're going to play whether you're the fifth string guy or not because they're going to blow somebody out. They're going to get guys on the field, and they do a really good job of rotating guys, even in big games. Uh, they're not Louisville's no, nowhere near that, obviously. But you know, Brian Brown today said we want to rotate 11 guys up front. I mean, if you're the third string guy, you better be ready to play because you're going to play. You're going to play a lot because they don't want to have guys playing the 60, 70, 80, 90 steps a game if they don't have to. If, what they would like is, you know, their top guys playing 50 to 60 and then everyone else filling those snaps. And that's what they – that's going to be the – that's going to be part of it at some positions. Um, on offense, they don't really – they didn't do that at App State. They had their number one running back. 
they split carries to a certain degree, but it wasn't, you know, 50-50. But they played two backs, and, and, you know, the starting quarterback, they played the same set of wide receivers for the most part. The offensive line was offensive line. But on defense, they rotated guys in all the time, you know. And so some positions, they're going to be able to do that much more easy than others. And some of these positions, it's just the way it is. There's only one football. So you're only going to play one quarterback. Your running backs, you know, you don't want them – you want to get them in a rhythm. So you don't want to, you know, jerk them around all the time and play different guys all the time. So some positions it's going to be harder. Some of this comes down to recruiting where you don't want 17 wide receivers like, like they had when they took the job. You want 10 to 11 like they have right now so that you can actually play people. You know, there's no point in having guys on the roster if you're just going to sit them on the bench the entire time. So that that's all part of that. But, you know, this the culture change that they're talking about, uh, Russ East called it one big family today. I mean, I, I, that's the type of stuff that you're going to get guys that will buy into, hey, I'll wait my turn, if you have a good atmosphere, a good environment, and an, and, a, and you're putting guys in a position where they actually enjoy being on the team. Right. Uh, so, you know, it's not as often, not, you don't see it as often, but guys will stick around if they're happy. When you keep when it's not happy and, you, don't, you know, you're not honest with people and they don't feel like they're ever going to play and you're, you're not telling them anything, yeah, they're going to they're gonna leave. Is it me, or it could be just because I finished it last night, but do you guys draw a lot of parallels between this team and Last Chance U, just as far as like last year's team and oh, the team definitely. Last Chance U? Just because there's so many there's so many things with like the, the ego management and just the, the lack of buy-in. It reminds me a lot of the, uh, for instance, like the, the quarterback situation there, it reminds me of, the, of a, lot, a lot of what happened at Louisville last year. They were just pulling dudes in that show. Yeah, I mean, it was crazy. And it was the same thing. And, very similar um, and, and, last yeah, year with, with Louisville. I well. agree. And the one thing that when we talked to Keith Kelsey a couple weeks ago that he told us when you know when when Bobby was here early on after Charlie Strong is the team was so close. It made up for what they were lacking in coaching. And what we saw last year in Last Chance U was uh, you know in this last season was them questioning the coaching staff, the players not being tight knit. I mean the the fact that they they sat in that captains meeting and were like, Coach, don't bring him back talking about Malik Henry don't bring him back like we don't need that here that that to me was just so interesting because I feel like last year like the players were so against the coaches that you could like almost see it on the field like you really could just see it yeah and and again Keith also talked about and um you know we've we've heard other players talk about this too I don't think anybody last year necessarily quit or didn't give maximum maximum effort but if you're not all mentally trying to attain the same thing if you're not all on the same page working towards one common goal then you know the the whole um team mentality and the whole team buy-in um that that just completely falls off the map Uh, i think that's what we saw last year with louisville so that's kind of something that um excites me going into this season and just listening to some of the comments that some of the players are making um it's just that they're they are 100 percent um bought in Um, i'm not sure if that's more of a uh more of a some something that's happening because there's no other direction to go but to to buy in and follow the coaches. Um, I'm sure that that's that's part of it, but it's something that's that kind of excites me just going in, in, into the season. Well, I think I think Satterfield kind of mentioned that in one of his presser comments about you know just all the little interactions, whether it be with the whole team, you know, talking about the paintball thing or taking them out to dinner, or just doing doing things that that you know they haven't done before with coaches and then he my favorite part is when he basically talked about the camaraderie within the coaches he wanted to make it to where even even the coaches 
um, are getting close, even away from the players, because uh, I think Gunnar Brewer said it on, on the radio the other day. He's like, everything's all great and shiny and new and happy, but he's like, none of these coaches have actually played a game together. So none of these coaches have actually, you know, been together on the sidelines during game action, you know, intense times, they're down, whatever it may be. So I think it's awesome that not only he wants to bring the family aspect to the team as a whole and the relationship with the coaches and the players, but just the coaches themselves. And I think obviously that is 100% 180 from the way Bobby, you know, communicated with the staff or lack thereof. Uh, it just shows, you know, kind of where where Satterfield's really putting his priorities in terms of relationships. Keith, where do you sit on the I'm tired of Bobby and I want to keep talking about Bobby conversation that's been going on the last couple of weeks in the fan base? You know, I, honestly, I, I, you know, I think pretty clear people, anybody that follows me on Twitter, anybody that talks has ever met me in person, I could, I, 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 I never was a fan of Bobby Petrino, but just a person let alone being a coach but so I mean I, I think you know I can understand some people want to move on but I do think that it, I think it I think it's it's it, it should be acknowledged when new information comes out um because I think it gives context to how bad yet last year was how good things have how much things have improved um and I think that's that's fair because sometimes I, I do think there's a there's a there's a pretty sizable group of Louisville fans that placed last year on the players more than the coaches. They feel like, hey, these guys quit. Um, and I, I think that acknowledging these new, the new information that comes out and whatnot, uh, you know, in ATC Media Days, we, we all learn new things, just like the, the Florida State game was, was such a big thing to the players because publicly, Petrino, at least halfway, you know, took blame for the, the, for the law but walk back in the locker room and blame all the players. You know, things like that I think are important to at least make sure, you know, to, they're newsy to me. Um, but I do think that, yeah, at some point, and probably, hey, the season is about to start, yeah, it's probably time to just, hey, move on. But, that's a, you know, he's, he's giving a speech for the first time since he got fired. He's going to be in public in Arkansas in, what, September 9th, I think, is what I saw. So yeah, we were that'll just be another – that'll be another thing that comes up and, and, you know, people will talk about it then. So, you know, I, I don't know. I've, I've never really been big on whether or not people should talk about this, talk about that. You know, sometimes we, you hear the same thing with like a Tina Powell and people are so tired of hearing about her, but it's like, yeah, it's, it's news. It is what it is. You know, and I don't know for me, I, <laughs> was, she arrested, like, you know what, if, yeah, was she arrested in a UK shirt or a U of L shirt or God. Yeah. 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 Oh my God. But it, it's part yeah. of the, you know, I mean, he, you know, she's, She's newsworthy to to certain to a certain degree. So, what? but I don't know. I mean, going back to the stuff about you know, kind of how you know how things are different under Satterfield. I think the the coaching aspect is such a big thing, and I was really excited to see these guys have this off the field relationship, whether it be on Twitter, whether it be different aspects of life that I've, you know, you know, I, I know that some of these guys are kids go to school or daycare together and things like that. And they go golfing and all stuff like that. You know, I think that stuff's important. I remember uh, when Charlie Strong, one of the things that I thought that he did really well that helped him create an atmosphere where coaches wanted to stick around is before the season started, they did a retreat and they all went out to, you know, they, they camped and it was free for all. You can, you know, you can say whatever's on your mind. There's no judgment. If 
you have an issue with another coach, you can let it fly. It just cleared the air because Satterfield and you, you guys just made the point. They haven't coached together yet, but when they do coach together, you're going to have disagreements. Middle of the game, right. you're going to have things that somebody's going to make a call that you don't like. Somebody's going to play a guy that you don't think it should be out there. You're going to have all kinds of things that comes up. But when you have the relationship off the field, when you can trust that, hey, this guy has the same things in mind that I do, then it's a lot easier to make those decisions, to accept those decisions, uh, to, to take it when maybe, you know, you feel like we should be doing this and Leftford and Satterfield say, hey, we're going to go with this route. You might say, okay, I can take that because these guys have the right things in mind. When you don't have that relationship, and trust me, the last year staff did not have that relationship, you, you you're, it's just not going to work. And, and having those closer bonds, I mean, these guys, their wives are tweeting each other on Twitter. Right. You know, the other, did you see the the, 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 start, the story that WDRB did? The thing that stood out to me when they talked to Satterfield and his wife about how they met and all this stuff like that, she pointed out that Christy Mack has picked up their daughter from school a couple times or cheerleading practice. Gosh, that's like that. so freaking like, cool, that, man. That Bobby <laughs> wouldn't pick up that's anybody's kids, nor would I think anybody <laughs> want Bobby to pick their kids up. Right. It's just it's just so cool. Like that's college athletics to me. That that fun, close knit thing. You know, Charlie Strong going to basketball games to support Patino. You know, things like that I think are cool. I, I don't know. That's that's college sports to me in a nutshell. And I think the the new blood into this, this athletic department in general is gonna be great. And I think the football program is like the perfect example of coaches actually wanting to be here wanting to be college coaches and take all that comes with it. Right. Not just being a coach on Saturday, being a part of the university, a part of the community, and these guys have done that, and they've done a really good job of it, at least in my opinion. Well, and I think I didn't even know about the uh, the whole Christy Mack picking up you know, football kids. That's awesome. Um, but I think that just goes to what I was going to say about this new show coming out. I think I'm almost more excited to see the interaction and camaraderie between the coaches and how they just and how they kind of just on a daily basis cut up with each other and, and all the stuff that we've been hearing about. I'm really hoping uh, this show kind of really has some good scenes of that because I'm honestly more excited about uh, a new coaching staff that actually wants to be around each other as much as I am excited about a team with a whole new motivation and mindset. I think, I mean, actually you can't stress it enough, but it's just, it's more about being wanting to be a college football coach, not wanting to just be a coach. It's a, it's, it's, they're two completely different things. Being a college football coach means that you have to do more than just go to practice and just show up to games, and, and these guys are really into it. And that show, the, the thing I'm most interested in seeing, I want to see them do the best. Like, I hope they get the basketball games that they play every week. Uh, because, I, I, you know, Jeff Greer got to write about it, and it was a really cool story, and I got to talk to him about it a little bit. He's like, yeah, it was really interesting. There's some guys out there that are super intense, and, you know, some guys that are better basketball players. But it would just be fun to see how – just just to see it. Yeah, you know, just I can't. I, I, you know, we've we've been saying it a lot. Can you imagine the last staff playing pickup basketball together? I just, like, just oh no, I can't. I, I want to see Satterfield. So. I want to see Satterfield just literally in the game, like the Ch the Chappelle Show scene of him playing as Prince. Oh, game. And just in, in the game. Mouses. Yeah, just. Yeah, but, I, but yeah, just doing stuff like that, like that's incredible. Like just pickup ball yeah, is even. Uh, it's amazing to me, like what Louisville fans are like you know, gaga over about coaching staff stuff. And it's incredible because this is supposed to be, like you said, normal 
college this, yeah, this is coaching what it's supposed phase, to be. Yeah. Like, we've never experienced that because like we've had these ultra prima donna, you know, successful coaches that love to act like they're running a major pro program. So this is all brand new to us. Yeah, and I think it's gonna be it's gonna be the big factor that changes this program and it might not happen this season. You know, I think we'll see plenty of gains from what they're doing. We'll see that on the field in some way, shape or form. Even if it's hey, they lost a the game but they lost by seven where they got beat by thirty or forty last year. Right. That's a game. That's something that shows that what they're doing is working. But I really do think that long term this is this is the guy that's going to get the program to where I think Louisville fans expect it to be, which is not, you know, they're not Clemson. They're not going to be beating Clemson every year. They, they're, they're, but they should at least have a shot of making a New Year's Bowl from time to time. They should get to double-digit wins from time to time. They, they, they never reached that. They never got over that hump with Petrino, and I think we all know why. We all we've been talking about all the issues that. That's what stops you from getting over that hump. That's where when you go down to Houston and you have a chance of still having a great season and you get blown out on national television and then you go lose to Kentucky, like those things happen because you don't have your complete program where it should be. I think that Scott Satterfield knows how to get a program there, and I think he can do that here with the stuff that we're talking about. I mean, this culture stuff, I know that people just – sometimes it seems cliche and it seems like a talking point. This is how you build college football. I mean, even you look down to Alabama and all the other top programs, they might do it a different way. People have their own way of doing it, but they have a specific way of doing it, and that works for them. And I think that Scott Satterfield's way of doing it at App State, it worked there. And I think he can do the same thing too. I want to go back to the press conference, and I want to ask the, the group this, and we can each take a couple of seconds to kind of give an answer why, but he, he laid out a couple of player move uh, player movements, which I don't acknowledge all summer when guys transferred out him ever individually saying, yeah, this guy's no longer with the program. It just kind of came out, and it was what it was. So in his opening press conference, he mentioned that Treshawn Smith is not with the team and has not been with the team all summer long and will continue to be suspended uh, for the time being. He mentioned – uh, Doomerville Gene, defensive lineman, who to me looked like he had no part being on a college football field last year. Medical redshirt, going to spend the summer, or spend the, the 2019 season getting healthy and, and really pl- into playing shape. Jadarian Boykin, Jamel Starks, two of the top guys from the 19 class, do not qualify academically, will not play. And then the, the Lamarcus Thomas news, transferring away from the program. And finally, Tobias Little. Which of those is the biggest deal, Alex? I'll start with you. What's the what's the one there that kind of stands out to you? To, to me, I would honestly probably say the uh, the hits to defense is what I think um, is. It, I think that was kind of a blow that people didn't realize. Uh, it, and not only you're talking about a guy we were gonna rely on in Treshawn Smith, but talking about Jadarian Boykin and Jamel Starks. I mean, I think people were really excited to get those guys on campus. And I know I blew Keith's phone up. Like, how many times did I did I text you about like Boykin coming on? campus and I, I was getting nervous about it and we kept talking and smoke was in the room and, and all this stuff and then finally he came out and said it so that was kind of deflating to me um, just because all we've heard about is like Keith just pointed out and you pointed out that some positions really don't have as much depth as others and I think Jadarian Boykin could have really made a, an impact uh, sooner rather than later so 
that that was kind of my things was just the defensive guys. Um, and I definitely agree with with the Doomerville because uh, I mean we also especially clips of him and, and some of the videos they were showing uh, even through the Twitter account. I mean I hope you know he can kind of get his his weight down and his body in order uh, to at least make an impact on the team. But yeah, I think I think that was definitely a great way to go. I don't know why they didn't. You know, there's so many questions around like Petrino's last year, but like why? Why didn't you do that last year? You know, like that—that's my thing. Like he clearly should have done this a season before he did it. Yeah, I mean, I it, to your point. I mean, I I 100% agree with that. I mean, as far as for me, the the biggest new piece of news is the loss of Trayshawn Smith. I saw him as potentially being. Um, a starter on this team, and if not a starter, somebody who made significant contributions. Um, so I think that's that's a big time loss. Uh, what do you think, Keith? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's hard to go between Trayshawn Smith and, and and Boykin. I think Boykin's the guy that would have been uh, on the field, maybe you know, wouldn't have been a starter, but would have been a freshman that would have been a, be able to come in and be a pass rusher, uh, which they they still need, even with Ty Tyler coming in. You can't have enough pass rushers. So right. I think he's a guy that would have come in and been an impact recruit. And Louisville hasn't had a ton of impact freshmen since joining ACC. Um, and I think he's a guy that can come in and, hey, we got a new guy that's going to step into the defense and add a playmaker. Um, but Trayshawn Smith, is he would have been a starter, at least in my opinion. I think he was the free safety next to Russ Smith, Russ, <laughs> Russ E. Um, and I think that duo – would have been great. Um, Russ Smith you know, could have still I, played I football. I can so totally far. see Russ Smith being a great safety. Might be a little yeah. small. <laughs> might might be a little small, but yeah. that man can make some plays. I mean, he's a little lighter. But... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Quick hands, though, you know. Yeah, I was gonna say he makes up for it in speed. Yeah, I, I'm I'm with you guys. To me, the loss of Jadarian Boykin just hurts because the pass rusher, like you said, Keith, you you can never have enough. I don't know how many times I've heard that. Um, and then to Alex, to your point, the defense here is the one that takes the loss, and that's. You know, I think that if that would have happened to the offensive side of the ball, it would have been a little bit more hurtful because you don't go as deep in a lot of positions. I don't know what the quality of the depth is on defense, but there's still – every position has, you know, a couple of guys that they can go to. But losing Boykin, losing Starks, I think Starks would have played quite a bit. Uh, obviously, I think Treshawn Smith would have would have started if if he would have been here all summer long. And and then Doomerville Gene, I mean, I just you – know, with the guy that big, you just hope he gets yeah, healthy, man. I mean, we were talking about that even – you know, multiple weeks ago when, when, you know, we were still hearing reports about how big he was. I mean, that, that just wasn't really feasible, especially when you move to a, to a coach and a staff that prides itself on speed and, right. and athleticism. You know, I think that's, they're just mainly looking out for his well being at this point is, is the way I, I kind of took that. But. Yeah. Keith, t- tell me a little bit, you've probably got a little bit more knowledge on this than we do. I mean, we've spent a lot of time on our site trying to figure out what the defensive line is going to do just because it's going to be a little bit different. They're, they're going to play undersized from what most teams do up front. I mean, you look at typically the nose tackle position and tell me if I'm wrong here. Typically that's a, that's a guy that's 300 pounds, maybe 290. They're going to go down to Gigi Robinson. Who's more in the 280 range. Um, and then on the defensive end, they're going to be, they're going to be playing guys who are 260, 250. What is, what are they going to be trying to accomplish up front? Um, and then is there any worry in your mind about being undersized? Um, so they run; they're going to run a three-four. You know that that really traditional three-four with a three-man front, and it's it's very different. I mean, I, I, the best way to put it is that it's just it's 
it's almost undefinable. Like you're not going to find another defense that does what Brian Brown's defense does up front. It's just, that's just, it's just so unorthodox and it's going to be undersized from what we normally see. Um, and it's more built on speed, quickness off the ball and havoc. And right. when I say havoc, it's exactly no, there's no hyperbole there. It's about making sure that you blow up the blocking scheme that the offense has. Um, and I, I always tell people the best game to watch is the Penn State game from last year. And you can see a well-run offense with you know, a couple NFL talent level offensive linemen and they just couldn't they couldn't block these guys because it's about you're not going to be you're not reacting to the offense as much as you're doing what the play calls for you to do so you might have a run play to your right side of your you know of your defenses should be going to the right and your nose tackle might be going left his job there is to blow up that center and that left guard so that your linebackers come free and they can fill that hole so you're going to see a lot of just unorthodox things up front guys doing slants to the left or the right where the play it doesn't matter what play the offense is running or what they're doing they're going to do what their the play call is in order to create that havoc and blow up the blocking scheme so the linebackers can make plays right so app state for tacklers last year with their linebackers and that'll probably be the same way here at Louisville. I mean, the, the whole scheme is the, just built for linebackers to be able to make plays, to have blockers, you know, being misdirected and things like that so that you have a free run to the, to the play. And if you think back to last year, we all – I don't know if you guys remember when Alex Cupper kind of went off last year about how poorly the defense had been playing. He talked about run fits a lot. And run fits are kind of just what they sound like. Are you fitting into the spot in, in the defense – to stop the run and Louisville was just atrocious with that last year the defensive line didn't do anything to help anybody they just kind of stood up and got pushed around and then the linebackers were just kind of guessing they just kind of guessed hey maybe I'm supposed to be here maybe I'm supposed to be there at App State it it was complete 180 I mean these guys were always in the spot they're supposed to be in because the, the defensive line was creating that havoc so you have your two middle linebackers. They're filling the hole, and there's nobody there because, hey, the, the linemen they're supposed to be blocking there, they're chasing some guy, you know, the opposite direction. And you can see this. You watch the film, and it always jumps out at me at least. And it, it, I think it'll jump out to any fan that's watching it. You can see that this stuff works. Even though they're undersized, you know, I think that that stuff goes a little bit – it gets a little bit over uh, – you know, over-talked about, you know, you look at the top linebackers in, in the draft last year, you guys like Devin Bush was 5'11", 225, and it's just a different game now. It's more speed, 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 because, you know, you don't need those 300-pound slow guys. They're not really doing anything for you. So when you have those smaller guys, slower center of gravity, that's what they're really looking for. And I think the guys this year especially will be much better up front than they were last year, especially Amante Caban. He did really well being an undersized defensive end last year. I think he's going to do even better in this system. When I remember last time we had you on, you even mentioned about last year's uh, defense. One thing you always kind of – I don't, I can't remember specifically if it was the linebackers or, or the actual D-line or both, but you basically said the way uh, – the the way Van Gorder wanted it was to basically stand up and, and watch the play and then react. 
you know, and and yeah. and, and and have that initial confusion, just hesitation, <laughs> which is the dumbest thing. It explains why they gave up seventy points to Georgia Tech, right? So, <laughs> so when you're talking about a complete one eighty, because you know, I obviously I I hope a lot of fans have already watched that the App State uh, Penn State game, and and that was one of the first things you do notice um, as soon as you watch App State on defense is is not necessarily the what the defensive line guys were doing, but just watching the linebackers immediately know which gaps to just shoot and they would get back there so quick and either bust the run at the line of scrimmage or at worst just give up you know maybe two three four yards in what was supposed to be a you know a big first down play so i think it is going to be awesome that that the linebackers get so much more action because you're just simplifying the defense to where they know exactly what they're supposed to do. They don't have to overthink things, and God forbid they don't have to stand there and watch the play develop before they actually take action. Well, you know, like they they talk about the other ten. That's that's kind of their motto on defense is right. is make sure you do your role because you don't want to let down the other ten. Uh, all this stuff sounds cliche. It sounds kind of corny sometimes, but it, it to watch it in action. It's great. I mean, like, so watch these guys play completely unselfish football, guys doing exactly their role. I always point to their nose tackle last year. Myquan Stout, who is a – I think he's in a training camp right now, but he actually joined the UofL staff as a strength assistant before he went to training camp. Nice. Uh, didn't get drafted, but he was first team all Sunbelt last year, and he had, like, 26 tackles and, like, one tackle for loss. Just no stats, nothing that – with you know, most guys like that's just that's that's us. They want to make the stats, they want to make the big plays. Right. But he made first team because everyone knew his role in that defense was to create havoc, and he did really well with it. And he he's the guy that helped these guys get a hundred tackles playing behind them. And every coach, every guy, every media member knew that because I'm sure all the coaches probably talked about him every week. We got to figure out what we're gonna do about Mike Quan Stout. And you look at his stat sheet, and it's like this guy has five tackles in game four like what are we talking about well yeah because he makes he makes the play without making the play and if these guys buy into that a Gigi Robinson and a Monte Caban all those guys if they buy into it then yeah they'll still get the accolades they'll still get still get the notoriety the team will understand it but you've got to buy into it and that's where like I said that's some of the unknown right now is knowing it all seems that they're buying in and I think everything we've seen is shown that they are but we don't know until we see it and if they buy in this year, though, they'll, that improvement, it'll show in the Notre Dame game because a lot of what happened last year was guys just not wanting to do what they were supposed to do. And that happened under Peter Sermon, too. And, and uh, Dorian Etheridge flat out said that. He said some guys are just doing what they didn't, they didn't believe in the system, so they just went out there and freelanced. Right. Well, if you're going to do that, you're going to get beat a lot. And that's what happened over the last two years. We all saw that. But if you buy into the system, and, you, and, and I think that these guys will – at least early on, and I think they, they can watch film. They've got a coach that they believe in. I think we'll see some of the improvement. And a lot of that concern about being undersized or the scheme being kind of different, it'll kind of go away because we'll see the, the results will be much better, at least in my opinion. Keith, where do you see the real weakness in this defense? And I mean, as far as scheme-wise, um, where, where do you think that, that the defense would be most exposed and what, what should be the biggest concern? going into, into this season with the personnel that UofL has? You know, I, I didn't really like the pass rushes they had at F-State. Um, they, they didn't get to the quarterback as much as I would have liked to see an aggressive defense, which this is. Um, so that, that, was, that seemed to be the weakness, I think, from a personnel standpoint. 
you know, I think Ty Tyler's going to bring a, a good a, a good pass rusher. I think Amante Gabon has the motor that it's just going to – he's going to put up at least a handful of sacks just on effort. I think Tabarius Peterson is, is due for for maybe a breakout year. But we don't have any proof that anybody's going to do anything from a pass rushing standpoint. We just haven't seen it. Um, so there's there's that's the big question mark. And I think from the scheme standpoint, I never really saw what I like to see personally from a defense. You know, you didn't see a lot of guys coming off the edge. Their blitzes didn't get home a lot. I just it, it just wasn't something that really impressed me. I guess. So I think that would be the weak spot. The big concern I have is actually the pass defense. I know that sounds crazy because Brian Brown, the, the numbers don't lie. I mean, they don't give up big plays at App State. They gave up one 50-plus yard pass play, and it was because two guys ran into each other in coverage. And they just didn't give up big plays. They they picked off a ton of passes. They broke up a lot of passes. Right. But I can't I can't watch the game and figure out how it works. If that makes sense, it seems just it's super aggressive. A lot of guys on an island, and I just worry. Without that pass rush, will that work out well in this this season coming up? Especially because they have corners that just didn't play all that well last year. So I, 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 that's where I'm really concerned. I don't, I can't really even explain why because the numbers. And I mean, I've watched all their games. I'm like, these guys play great in defense, and the scheme works. But I can't really put. I can't tell you what exactly I see that makes it work, other than they had really good defensive backs last year, and I don't know if Louisville has that we have proof that they have that right now. Right, because it is crazy. You've heard from multiple coaches that basically Brown's whole philosophy is just keep the ball in front of us from what I keep hearing. And then eventually, you know, the more the offense has to work to score, they're probably going to mess up at some point, uh, which definitely makes sense. But, yeah, I, I agree with you um, in terms of just the – not the defense in general, but, yeah, certain aspects of the defense because – yeah, it it worked as a whole at App State, but like you said, I think with this being the first season, uh, these guys are really going to learn Brown's, especially, like you said, super unique 3-4. Um, if we're going to have the, the talent to really do it how he wants it done, 100%. Right, and, and here's the thing. You just don't see a lot of defenses play zero coverage from the 40-yard line. I mean, no safeties deep, everybody across the board, man coverage, and you just don't see that very often. Uh, it, it's just, it's it's super, it's flat out just risky, and it's honestly just crazy because if you, if the guy gets beat, there's nobody behind the play, but he does that. He has no problem doing that throughout a game. He'll do it against anybody, um, and then, you know, other times he'll play one safety deep, uh, but they like the, he likes the blitz. He likes to bring guys in odd from odd positions on the defense that's kind of the the thought process with that that unique front that he does is that you never know where the fourth or fifth guy is coming from that's that's really what it comes down to and he'll bring guys from a safety to a corner anybody but you don't know where it's coming from and you also don't know that alignment up front it might be a normal set straight up three four with a nose tackle right in front of the center or he might slide over to a three technique and there might not be anybody in the middle of the field so he does these kind of odd kind of things that you don't normally see and it's about confusing the offense right. and it's worked like i said it's not the, the the proof is there it's just um it's just it's more me well and, and like you know hey I, I just don't it's just so abnormal that it's kind of hard to just say hey i trust this to work with the personnel that they have coming in and that that's kind of what i was going to get at is you know you're talking about how unique brown's 
defenses and, and you're worried because it's that unique. But obviously it's effective in, in confusing multiple offenses. And I know everyone's major concern in, in terms of the average fan is is just going from, you know, you know, Sunbelt Conference into into much tougher opponents, which obviously these staffs are gonna take a look at, at what Brown did at App State and, and try to game plan as best they can. But do you think, you know, the way he's going around, like you said, creating this havoc and, and just having really unique schemes i mean even if you do game plan you know you can't really i think quarterbacks still might get tripped up from time to time in in game time situations so do you see you know us maybe uh having big plays in those crucial moments when it comes to like those some of those 50 50 games we've been talking about quite a bit like the wake forces or the boston college or or games like that to where you know you might need one or two more big plays um to really get over that hurdle and, and create that upset. Um, is, that, is that kind of what your hope is, even though, like you say, you might not understand all of it, but clearly it, it confuses quarterbacks. Well, yeah, and I think even more of that, it confuses offensive lines. So the goal is to get, get the third and long. That's every defense's goal, no matter where you go, no matter what scheme you're running. Just so you can play and the Van Halen they did music? such a good job of that, um, <laughs> being able to stop the run on first and second down. And like I said, that havoc with the offensive line where, you know, you're, you're, say your offensive line is supposed to make a reach block to the left and he's supposed to get to the linebacker. And instead of that, he's got a, he's chasing the first block he's supposed to make down inside. Well, now you have a hole for the, for the linebackers to fill. So now you're getting a stop on first down. Maybe on second down, they're forced to pass or maybe they try another run and you're able to get another stop. When you get him in third and long, every defense, you're, you now have the advantage. Right. So when you go back and watch those App State games, that's that's it. That's the whole thought process of, of the defense because now you can do whatever you want on defense. You can bring pressure. You can sit back. And that's the thing. If you can sit back in a show and keep everything to five yards, well, now you've got a third down stop. So stopping the run is the key thing in this whole defense. And that's where that, that eccentric is the word, I think, is the best word up front, mm-hmm. how they do things. It's all about creating – it's just blowing up the blocking scheme because every run play has a specific way that it's supposed to be blocked. And if you can't, you can't get to your blocks, then the defense is now in the advantage. So I know you guys watch film and you guys go back and watch that state game. Just, just watch those guys up front, watch them slant and then watch the offensive linemen chase these guys out of the play. And then you see their two linebackers. It's, it's a, it's really simple. There's nothing that he does that is just like, that you're going to have to sit back and be like, oh, man, I don't – how this happened? It's just – it's as simple as can be. Guys up front create havoc, blow the blocks, and the linebackers come in and fill the holes and get the tackle. Well, and I, I can't – it's unbelievable to watch because, you, like I said, that's part of where my concern is because it is so simple. It's, it's not – you're just looking for something otherworldly. You know, you watch Clemson's defense and you watch how Brent Venables does things, and it's – every game could be different. He's going to coach it differently in every game, and it's, it's complex – and you have all these different things they do. Brian Brown is just, hey, no, we're gonna we're gonna have the advantage over the offense. That's I, I think from what I see is that hey, we're gonna we're gonna put them on their heels, trying to figure out how to block us, and then we're gonna get you in third and long, and that's where that's where they're that's where every defense is their best. So uh, that's that's the big thing, and can that work? I think so. Well, I mean, I, I think not I only I think when you have fast, athletic guys up front. 
Well, no, I was just I was just saying I think the simplicity is a big thing, but I also think the defense wanting to play for somebody is is almost just as important because like you pointed out, they didn't want to play for, for Peter Sermon, they didn't want to play for Van Gorder. So I think not only just, you know, kind of simplifying the defense, letting these guys go after, but also just playing for a defensive coordinator that motivates you, that you actually want to to perform for. That you're not questioning every time. I I just had this thought like last year and maybe a little bit at the end of the Peter Sermon era, like these guys are running down the field like, did this dude really just call this play? Like, is that really (laughs) what he just did? Like, I wouldn't call this play if you paid me to call this play. Like, I mean, I can only imagine that was the case last year. Keith, when you look at – you talked a lot about the defensive line and really given an insight that I think is really interesting. When you look at the linebacker position and you look at a guy like CJ Avery, a guy like Rajay Burns, a guy like even your Sir Abdullah, like they have, they have like complete playmakers. Um, like, do you think that gives them kind of like a, a leg up on offenses where they're blitzing hardcore with their front three or filling gaps, and then you have a guy like your Seer Abdullah or uh, Rajay Burns who's a cornerback or a, you know fits the mold of a safety and can make a play on the ball covering a line or covering a tight end or a running back? Like, do you think that's a big deal? Well, yeah, you you know this everything's about speed. You know, like I said, it's just the whole game is speed, 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 and that's. You know, like I said, I, I think about Brian Brown's defense that I love, and I'm hoping maybe that's where things where, – where, what I'm missing maybe is that they have – the whole thing is just about you got to have guys that can run. And, they, you know, you hear that from every coach. Every coach talks about how we got to have speed, 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 and speed city. We all saw that. We all heard that and got drummed to death with that whole thought process. But we didn't see it on the field. Like nothing they did was really about speed. Well, this defense is. That's, that's what it's all about, is guys getting to plays quickly, and especially on the edge. When you Everything in football now is about getting your fast guys in space to cause to, – to hope that your guy, your fast guys are better than the other team's fast guys. That's how Clemson does it. That's how Alabama even started doing it. That's how you win big games now. Oklahoma, Oklahoma is the best at it, in my opinion. They get their fast guys in space. So the only way you can defend that is having fast guys to defend it. And Louisville has that in their linebacking group. You know, when, when you're looking at Dorian Etheridge, and he's maybe, I don't want to say a weak link, but he's the guy that you're questioning of, man, is he fast enough? Can he play in this scheme because does he have the foot speed? That's a good thing because he definitely has it. And I think this this scheme is going to be better because it's going to be faster. Everything, everything Every read is faster. It's not, okay, like you said, that hesitation of, okay, I saw this, now I have to do this. It's just go. Every play starts with just going. And C.J. Avery, I think, is going to kill in the system. I think Monty Montgomery is going to force himself uh, on the field somehow. If you could see this, going to be great to see. If you could see this word dog we have sitting in front of us, Keith, we have both of those names in all caps with exclamation points. Like Those are the two guys that our team on our website have been talking about all summer. Like We can't wait because they're so fast. I mean, Monty Montgomery, is if just you couldn't find a better fit. And I, I, I'm surprised it took me this long to say the word fit because I've been saying that since these guys got hired and since they started looking at recruits. And, you know, star ratings, I, I, stars matter, and I'm not going to act like they don't. But once you – I stress this to anybody that listens to me. Once you get outside the top 10 to 15 teams in the country, stars don't really matter. You're, you're all looking at three stars, and it's about your evaluation and about your fit. Can he do what you need him to do in your scheme – and then you hope that you can develop that guy because three stars are three stars. They're all a crapshoot. 
and you have to find guys that you think can do what you need them to do in your scheme. And Monty Montgomery is a perfect example of that. He's a JUCO All-American. He was the conference player of the year in the same league. Jayhawk, baby. You guys. Yeah, heck yeah. I mean, this this guy, he did what you expect him to do. It's, it's no different than a guy like Travion Young, who was at Iowa Central, I believe, and he was a JUCO All-American, one of the best JUCO players in the country. And when he got here, it was like, oh, wow, this guy can play. Even though he wasn't a great high school player, didn't have a lot of offers, all that stuff, you got to find guys. He fit what they did. He played. He fit perfectly. Even with the coaching change, he fit what Grantham did, and he played well for him. So when you find those guys that fit what you do, yeah. when you're – like I said, I've had that top 10, 15. You're not a blue blood. The stars don't matter. I'm sorry. Just it, they don't. When you're when you're talking about the best teams in the country, yeah, the stars matter. But they just don't when you're playing in the middle of the pack because you're all recruiting out of this huge pool of three stars, and it's about whether or not you have a guy that can do what you need him to do. And I think the staff did that did a great job of finding guys that fit what they need, and they moved guys around on that defense. A guy like Roger Burns, he's a good corner. He would have been a good safety. He's going to be really good at that outside linebacker hybrid spot because he can do all they need him to do. He can cover guys. He can play at the end of the line. He's bulked up. He understands his role. Those, those things are important. And I think at linebacker, and actually wrote about this in, in my last mailbag, I think in the comments, somebody asked me what's the strongest position on the team. And I was like, linebacker. Easily. And, it, and Hands I don't think close, honestly. It, yeah, it's not even close. I think close. they have depth. You have TJ Hole, who's a guy that I think is going to be a good player for them, and at least a guy that can provide good quality depth. And the outside linebacker spot, like you talked about, they have three or four guys there. Somebody's going to be able to, to, to push through and be the star of that group. Yeah. But then they have depth. You know, and you have to have that. And I think they're good there. The card spot, the second guy in line there, I'm not sure who's going to be there. It's got to be P.J. Blue, part, right? But, I mean, it has to be. He's the He fits the mold more than anybody. He fits right? me. I think he fits it, fits it well. And, and – and, if that is the case, you got a guy with experience. And so, I've always me, wondered, that group is, how, how do you not put Kane Pass at that spot? Maybe I don't know enough football, but we've seen the guy can't really cover a whole lot in terms of one-on-one, -on -one, but he's a great tackler, right? I mean, that that's kind of where he's made his money the first three years. My honest answer is that I think that Treshawn Smith's issue forced Kane Pass to stay where he was. Because I don't think that they're very certain about the guys behind because right now you have Isaiah Hayes coming in, and I think he's going to be the starter at that free safety spot. But they don't have any other proven depth there without Treshawn Smith. So I, I do think that if Treshawn was playing or if he does play at some point, I just see Kane passing him down there because we got to see him in that role playing in the box a couple times. Mm -hmm. He made some really good plays. But you're 100% right. He's not gonna, he can't cover anybody. Yeah. That's just not his skill set. And he's, a, he's kind of more of that hybrid. He's the perfect fit for that. At least from the standpoint that he can he can play the run, he'll be able to play in a short zone really well, and he can cover a tight end or a slot guy to a certain degree. They don't need they're not looking for somebody that can run 60 yards down the field with a slot guy. That's not what they're looking. They're looking for somebody that can at least run with them and play that Tampa two kind of underneath and have the safety over top, and he can do that well enough. So I think that that's probably the the, the reason why he wasn't moved is because of depth concerns at safety. Because if you moved him during the spring, so to speak, you don't have anybody there other than Chanel Troutman, Kahim Roach, two guys that they haven't played yet. So yeah, and Telly Palmer I think that's well. maybe why they haven't moved them. I wouldn't be shocked that if Treshawn Smith gets back in the good graces and he's back on the team. He's still on the roster. If he, he's back to participating with the team, that might be something they, they do at some point in the season. Maybe. Yeah.
Key, super important question here coming off Juco. Would you have Jason Brown on your staff? Absolutely not. <laughs> Interesting. No, no. There's a lot of people, man, that'll go to bat for him. Like for real. We've actually I mean, had legit conversations because half the half the staff writers are are you know, I, I kind of understand in, in terms of now that I've talked to uh DJ, one of our writers who actually was in JUCO and, and kind of explained, you know, like the world in the underbelly of JUCO and and that, you know, sometimes certain things that's how you have to communicate to certain guys and whatnot. Yeah. But it has been a very interesting topic because like I feel like people are definitely split. On all that, but no, I was just curious on uh, on that since we were. Here's the thing: JUCO most guys. most JUCO coaches are not real normal. So right. you have the other guys for uh, the team that that ended up. Uh, he got you know they got in a fight after the game. Yeah, Garden City. That yeah, guy, that guy was like a is a well regarded guy. He got a new job. I mean, yeah. he also had a player die and said that it was God's will. Oh God! I mean, he, yeah, you, know, you have all these guys that are just. They're not real normal. The, I don't know if you could see it in Last Chance U. He did everything military style. Like, he would have those guys line up in that parking lot, and they had to march and all that stuff like that. That is psychotic. That's not normal. Like, nobody – that's just weird. So, I, like, most JUCO guys, they're in a, they're in that level even when they succeed because they're just not – they don't have the the every other part of being a college coach. They don't know how to do that the right way. Yeah. I mean, you look at the guy in the first couple seasons, as successful as he as he as he was down in Mississippi, he didn't even get an offer to be a, a coordinator or a position coach, which he would have been paid more money at, at a school like Ole Miss or Mississippi State or any of those schools down there, because he's not normal. I mean, they're just not they're not real social let's, socially normal people. Let's not act like Lane Kiffin's not going to hire the guy at some point. I mean, every player that's come <laughs> through last chance, you Lane Kiffin is like, yeah, can I let, let me have him real quick? The man. only thing I got against Jason Brown is that I'm not going to buy a paperback book for $35. Like, you're not going to get me to drop 35 on a paperback, or 50 I think, for his, uh, his hardback is what he's trying to do. You're such a slap dick. This is, no, this is like the uh, <laughs> the big ballers stuff. Like, I'm not going to pay, like, an exuberant amount of money for, like, normal stuff. Like, it's yeah. just, like I'm sure he has a great story, but, like, I'm not going to... That just seems ridiculous for, for selling Look, your man, book. The show has provided endless amounts of entertainment over the last four years, so... And the last, two, the last two have been fantastic, so... You know yeah. what it is. All right, we're Honestly, running. I think, I think Brown has a little bit of a Petrino kind of thing where I think that his, his only real fit would be like a consultant role like the NFL where you don't have to do anything but just show up to practice and games and just, you know, be a behind-the-scenes guy. But Jason Brown doesn't have the acumen. He doesn't yeah. have the no, skill to be at I, that level. I agree. So, I, I think he's going to make his money being a motivational speaker to JUCO programs. Like, I think that that's what you're going to see is, which it sounds crazy, like, I think programs are going to bring him in. Oh, my to, God, like to, a scared straight program? Yeah, like right. Yeah, just called the program <laughs> slap dick. Y'all don't even know. Yeah. All right. So here's what we're gonna do. We're we're running up against the the time that we've got allotted for the show key. So I, I want to finish the last I don't know ten minutes or so with each of us just going through and, and doing this pick'em style. I'm, I've got ten categories here, um, and I I know that you as a writer work hard to to promote yourself. And so if there's any of these that you can't answer, I understand if you're working on pieces. But we're gonna lob up questions and just look for the the best answer. So I'm gonna start with this one. I think that might be the easiest one. We'll start with you, Keith. Who wins the starting quarterback job? Uh, Juwan Pess. Easy. I don't. I think that's already a decision, but they just haven't really decided to tell anybody yet. All right, Alex. Uh, yeah, I think initially pass. I think it'll be interesting from that Athlon article that there's an anonymous coach in the ACC that thinks Conley's going to start eventually. But I, I think to what we were talking about before the podcast that if 
that if the team, you know, doesn't look like they're going to be bowl eligible by the end of the year, maybe you do start Conley. Yeah. And just Makes to, sense. Just to see what he has. I mean, yeah, yeah but I think initially I I, I'm that. definitely going uh, with Juwan. Presley, what do you think? Juwan Pass. Yeah. Same same with you, Jacob. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'll am gonna. i go Juwan Pass. All right, n- the next one, we'll start with you again, um, Keith. Best position group on the team. Yeah, I really do think it's linebacker. I, I'm I'm hundred percent I'm a hundred percent sold that these guys have the depth there uh, to to withstand the the full schedule, which I think is a factor. But I think the top level guys, I think CJ Avery is a star. I, I really do. I think that you have Roger Burns in a position where he can he can excel also, and he fits the role well. And that that position led App State in tackles last year, was able to pick off a pass or two, break up some passes, force some fumbles get after the quarterback. I mean, that's the – I think he can play that role also. So I think that group is the best group, at least in my opinion. It blows my mind that you say that too just because we were just looking earlier at the position rankings from David Hale, and he has Louisville ranked dead last in the ACC at the linebacker position. Yeah. So That guy. They were pretty terrible last year. They really were, but you, you hit that the nail on the coffin earlier. What they were asked to do just didn't make sense for what they were – with what their skill set uh, gave them the ability to do. Alex, what do you think? Best position group? Uh, I'm going to go linebackers as well, not just because of the depth, but I also think because of what we're talking about with, with how Brian Brown really is going to set these guys up for success in this new uh, in this new scheme. I'm definitely seeing, uh, especially since Keith just said, you know, they love to swap guys in and out and really rotate a lot of guys in. I think that's the one group you do want to have, you know, fresh legs in at all times and we have a lot of guys that can do that so yeah definitely I think linebackers and then maybe wide receivers probably behind that Presley wide receivers I think is is I think finally this year will will kind of be the year that um, we saw the potential we saw the potential in the wide receiver group a couple of years ago um, we thought it was going to be a huge strength of the team this past year obviously it didn't come to fruition um, I think that this is kind of the year um, that, that that comes comes to fruition I'm going to go running back, and I think that Louisville's going to have their first 1,000-yard rusher in Hassan Hall since 2010 in Bilal Powell. Um, I think it just makes too much sense the way that they, they divvy up their carries. Uh, I like Javion Hawkins as the backup or as the guy who gets the you know the second amount of carries. I like that you have a guy in Day Williams and Aiden Robbins who give you a bigger goal line back. That group is is built to withstand injuries, which we see running backs go through all the time. Uh, so for me, I think that that's the one that makes the most sense, especially when you consider what, what this staff asked for. Let's move on. Keith, the the worst group or the, the most worrisome group to you across the board position-wise for Louisville? Uh, quarterback is, is to me. I, 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 I just don't totally buy into Jawan Pass taking that step. Um, like I said, I, I, I got to see him when he was a freshman, Got to see him when he was a redshirt freshman. Saw him all of last year. And then this spring, he, when we got a small sample size of him, he looks like the same guy to me. Um, still extremely inconsistent, missing guys that are wide open, things like that. You know, my hope is that better coaching, which I think he's getting better coaching, a better offense that, that helps the quarterback more um, because they just refused to run the football last year. Even when they, even when the game was not out of hand yet, uh, I think that's going to be a help for them. Is that that the offense is better fit, better suited for them? But I still haven't seen it, and I, I don't. I'm not totally buying into the idea that he's going to be this new guy. So, to me, the quarterback position that's the worry. 
you know, offensive line, there's there's some concern there, but I think their first group will be pretty good. I think it'll be improved. I don't know about quarterback yet. Yeah, I, I'm going to piggyback off Keith. I'm going to go quarterback as well just because, obviously, every year we, we try to get our hopes up that Juwan Pass or anybody else, you know, this might be it. And I think I think he will be improved, but, yeah, that definitely has the most concern just because yeah. Dwayne Ledford has the offensive line, obviously, going in the right direction. Um so yeah, quarterbacks are, are my answer. For me, it's the secondary, just because I think that they're at the safety. There's a bit of a lack of depth. I think there's, and then at cornerback, I think there's just a lack, uh, or there's just a lot of unproven players. Not that that it's going to ultimately be the worst, but I think it's the most concerning to me. I, I'm going to go defensive line. I know that they're being asked to do something different, but uh, and, and you can't really take in schemes from past seasons. But I don't see the production being there that you need. Um, I, you've got a lot of guys who have. You know they're older, but they have not really proven themselves, even as juniors and seniors. So that's that group really concerns me. And without them being successful, you know your linebackers and secondary can't do what they have to do. Keith, offensive MVP for 2019. Ooh, that's a, that's actually a good one. You know, I'm actually gonna go with Desmond Patrick. Uh, so I, I think Hassan Hall is gonna have a big year. Uh, I think the offensive line's gonna improve. They're gonna get a lot of good things out of the running game. But I think the big thing is that you're going to see the wide receivers um, improve off of they're They're going to be the rewarded off of the success of the running game. They're going to be a lot of one-on-one coverage. They're going to throw the ball down the field a lot. And I think that's where Des Fitzpatrick ends up not having uh, a catch season. But I think he might at least get close to 1,000 yards, if not 1,000 yards. And I think he puts up some touchdowns. I think he's really – he's a hard worker. Um, we all know he has a skill – but I think this offense actually fits him better as a outside receiver, as a deep threat, and his craftiness will, will help out there. And I think he has a, that year that we expected him to have last year after he put up nine touchdowns uh, as a redshirt freshman. I think he'll have that year this year. I just want to say Washington State's not that cool. Um, <laughs> and my offensive MVP is uh, actually going to be uh, – I'm going with 2-2. So I know, obviously, Hassan Hall is probably going to be the main choice just because we keep talking about the, mm-hmm. the focus on the run game. I think Tutu is going to be the Swiss Army knife yeah. of this office because, yeah, he's, he, is a, he is a wide receiver, but he's going to be utilized in so many different ways around this offense. And and I think that's really going to come out, and I'm excited to see how they utilize him. So I'm going, I'm going at well. As this conversation has gone on, I've kind of listened to you guys and it's made me want to change my tune, but I wrote this down. Previously, I'm going to say John Pass because I, it might be wishful thinking, but um, I think that th- this coaching staff is going to um, put an emphasis on getting the ball out of his hands more quickly. Um, they're going to run the ball a little bit more, and that's going to feed into him being able to do um, what he does best and utilize his strength. So I'm yeah. going to stick with Juwan Pass. I hope you're right. Yeah, I think it makes sense. You you, you have wide receivers in Tutu Atwell and, and um, even in the backfield, Javion Hawkins and Hazan Hall and Des Fitzpatrick who can run quick 3-5 route five-yard routes makes a lot of sense for Juwan to be able to get the ball out of his hands. I'm going to go Hassan Hall for the second uh, time today. Makes too much sense. I think that he is going to be the face of this program this year. He's going to be a guy who really excels and does a lot of great things for them. Keith, other side of the ball, defensive MVP. Uh, I'm, i got to stick with CJ Avery. I mean, you know, I've, I've pretty much been the guy that, um, you know, as I, as I watch, you know, I'm, I'm one of the weirdos that watch – all of ULL games last year again this summer. Um, I, I hate myself, apparently. Bless Sorry. you, man. Um, Bless you. I, I, CJ Avery just 
stands out. He was one of the few guys that was always there to make the play. He was always in the right spot. And 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 one of the things that always stood that stood out to me last year is that he'd be in the right spot and nobody else was. You know, he'd be his run fits were actually where he was supposed to be, but nobody's there to take up blocks. Um, I think he gets the mental aspect of the game, and then he he's one of the he's to me the most gifted athlete on the defense. I think he has the speed. I think he's a big hitter. Uh, I think he can play in coverage really well as a, as a you know he used to be a, a former safety. Um, he can run in coverage with guys. I think he has the full toolkit, and then now he has the scheme. Um, you know, and I, I think that's the big thing. And one of the things that I, I think with this defense that we'll see is kind of going back to even before Grantham and back when you saw Charlie Strong's defenses, their defensive line was so important. If they didn't do their job, guys like Preston Brown, James Burgess, Keith Brown, those guys playing in the middle of the field, they didn't, they couldn't do their job. We're going to see that again. And I think they have a guy in CJ Avery that can be a star middle linebacker. And I think he'll play really well and he'll end up being that MVP. I think easily. Fun note about CJ Avery. I had no idea before I looked him up uh, that Granada, Mississippi was even a place. I thought Granada was just a country. So a little fun fact <laughs> on where he's from. I'm going to go with – I always can rely on you to bring the, the linebacker fun facts you, you to the show. you got to have the fun facts, man. Um, I'm, I'm going to go with uh, – I'm going to cheat and go two players. I'm going to go Amante Caban and Ty Tyler. I think, I think it, both those guys are definitely going to make a big impact. I think one of those will probably be um, – looking at the MVP, especially like we've all talked about and Keith mentioned numerous times, like Caban has a motor uh, that I think, you know, I think what Keith, you just said, he'll probably, you're looking at him for a handful of sacks and probably a lot more stats to pad. But, but I think, yeah, I think this is going to be his year. I think Ty Tyler, I'm, I'm super pumped uh, for him just from the seniority and the experience. And he has a chip on his shoulder to prove to people that he can actually do some damage in a power five conference. So, those are kind of my two combo. For me, I think it's easily C.J. Avery. I think that he is a guy that not only, like Keith said, but seemed like he was just always um, a step ahead of everybody else on the defense, um, but he's also just an, an absolutely perfect fit for what the new defensive coordinators wants to do. Want to do so, I'm going to go with C.J. Avery. Yeah, I. I predicted this last week i wrote about it i think cj avery makes the most sense because of how fast he is he like he said last year he stands out on a on film for a team that was just horrible i mean every time he's near the ball i think you'll see him uh potentially lead the team in interceptions i think he's going to be close to leading the team in sacks he's gonna uh, not sacks i'm sorry tackles he's gonna have a lot of sacks a lot of opportunities to blow up plays He's going to be the guy that heading into his his senior year is we're talking about as a potential first second round talent. All right, Keith, breakout star, offensive or defense, it doesn't have to be either or. Just a guy that you think is going to be become a star by the end of the season. Ooh, um, a star. I would say I think that uh, Rush East is probably the guy that is going to break out this year playing new position at strong safety. Um, he he was a, he was one of the guys. I mean, Brian Brown came out and flat said after he initially watched some of the film from last year, he said, "Yeah, there are a bunch of guys playing out of position." And Russ East was the most obvious, at least in my opinion. Uh, he was just never really that smooth, silky smooth corner that you need a guy that can run with people. 
but he's, he's more of a hammer. He can come down and hit people. Uh, he can run well enough to run with slot guys or, or move outside if you need him. But he's more he's better in the middle of the field with his facing forward, if that makes sense. Uh, to have, having his back turn and running with the ball, that's he just never really did well with that. And instead of moving him, they just kind of kept playing him in that spot until he just got tired of it and left. Um, I think that he is going to kill in that spot. Um, I think it's a perfect fit for him. He's going to be able to pick off some passes, but I think he's going to be great in run support. And that's what, where they need in this defense. They need those guys to fly up field and play off the edge. Like I said, everyone wants to get the fast guys in space. You have to have another fast guy there, and that's what Rushies brings to the table as a safety. That's what they did at App State. It worked. That's what teams around the country are doing. They're putting their, you know, com- you know, they're putting guys that are fast, moving them from corner and put them at safety. Or safeties are just being recruited that way. And I think he fits that mode. And I think he's going to kill at that role. I think Keith was looking at my stat sheet because I had him written down as well. Sure, you um, did. No, but yeah, yeah. I didn't even realize. He, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, like I didn't even realize he he was literally the third player in the state of Indiana. Um, like overall, he was the number seventeen cornerback at the time, rated four stars. I mean, the the guy is an athletic freak, and I think to to Keith's point, looking at how Brian Brown loves just loves the way his his defense ter- uh, in, in terms of turnovers, in terms of interceptions, that, that's a scoring defense. And I think uh, to Keith's point, I mean, like. Yeah, this is a perfect fit for him. I mean, he's going to have a heyday every single game of opportunities to make big plays, uh, whether it be an interception to the house or anything else. I think he's really going to – and not only that, like once he understands that he's going to be good in that role, I think he's going to thrive. I, I think his confidence is even going to be more so uh, than what it is even before we even play a game. For me, it's 2-2 Atwell. Um, if we're talking about somebody having a breakout year, I think That's last fair. year – um, he basically made the most of his opportunities, and I think that he's going to get a lot more of those this season. I think he's the perfect fit for the rest of he, – he, he's really um, operates cohesively with, with the rest of the offense. And you got to commend a kid that, that basically shit talks before getting beat by like 60 points. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean like that – you got some kahunas. If you, can, if you can just literally drop comments like that in a presser and then just go out and get destroyed, but – I'm going to go JV and Hawkins. I wrote earlier this summer about uh, a couple of offensive statistics that stood out to me. One being the number five represents the number of years App State has had at least one 1,000-yard one rusher and another 500-yard rusher in a row since that Scott Satterfield took over. I think he's going to be a guy who's going to probably get in that uh, 60 to 80 range in terms of the number of carries. and. They can do so many unique things with him in the, in the pistol, um, use him as a decoy, hit him out of the backfield, um, you know, run some outside option plays with him. I think that you can really kind of get unique with a guy who's small, can get lost in defenses, and, and uh, obviously is really, really fast, enough to earn the nickname PlayStation, which, goodness gracious, is what I, I would do to get that nickname. They would call me Refrigerator, I think. I think we discussed this last week. All right, but Keith, <laughs> biggest win of the season. Uh, you know, my, my pick for them to pull up one of these uh, kind of steal and win is NC State. Uh, I think they, they've lost a ton on offense. Obviously, Ryan Finley's gone. They lost their starting running back, their top two wide receivers, uh, four of their five offensive linemen on defense. I've been saying this for five years now. They have the most boring defense in the country. Um, and they don't have a Bradley Chubb, a Jermaine Crack type of talent to make the play 
plays that we've seen them make over the years. Their defense is always average to bad, even with those guys on their defense. They don't have those guys anymore. I think they're going to take a big step back on defense, a big step back on offense. And I think that's that's a win that Louisville can, can get this year. And I think it's a big win whether they're bad or not because NC State has kind of mopped them, you know, the last couple of years now. So Yeah. Alex? I'm going to stick with my uh, initial <clears throat> early upset in the ACC and go, uh, we're going to steal a road game from FSU. Um, yeah, I, I think that'll happen. I, I don't think Taggart uh, has the – has the buy-in as much as people think. I think there's a lot more turmoil inside those doors than, than people are seeing. I don't think the boosters are happy. I don't think the fans are happy. I think even as a big WKU guy when he was there, like I love Willie, but but yeah, I think that is a very winnable game, um, especially I think they're coming off like, I think FSU comes off playing Virginia either the week before or after. So I mean like looking at how everyone thinks Louisville's still 2-10 and 10 and they suck, I mean I think that's a game we could we could really realistically steal. Presley, what do you think? My pick, and um, I got a little bit of backlash for my probably way too optimistic picks this season, but my pick would be a tie between NC State and UK. Um, I obviously you know, don't want to reiterate everything that Keith said, but I think the NC State's um, going to have more of a down year. I think it's an opportunity, it's a chance to seize the opportunity. Um, and then as far as with Kentucky, um, the road team has won the last, what, three, four games in, in the series, and every time it seems like it's been an upset. Um, I think that Louisville is going to be kind of um, – uh, you know, they're going to get things together more later in the season, um, and I think that there's a chance that they could steal that one. Yeah, I'm going to go NC State. I think, Keith, you laid out the exact reason what I've been saying all summer long, but I think that the thing that's going to be forgotten is how much of their staff that they also lose. I think that losing Dwayne Ledford is – a huge blow to a program that has had one of the best offensive lines over the last couple of years. And then you lose your offensive coordinator who goes to become the head coach at App State. You know, they, they've done some really cool things with some of those guys that they've had, you know, Jacoby Myers, Naheem Hines, Ryan Finley. Like, they, they've been really creative and really good, and I think that they're going to take a step back, especially when you consider that they don't have a quarterback at this point in time. Um, all right, we've got three more left. Freshman, who makes the, the biggest impact? Um, I, you know, it's tough. I think that Zach Edwards is a guy that could make an impact. He, they moved him down to defensive end. More, more or less, he's replacing Boykin in that role. Uh, once, once Boykin wasn't, once they knew that he didn't qualify, they actually moved Zach Edwards down to defensive end. I, I love that kid. I thought he was going to be a really good fit at that outside linebacker spot, uh, opposite of the card spot. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they had him at middle linebacker. Uh, I think that he's got a skill set that you can kind of just put him somewhere in the front seven and he'll make plays for you. So I think he'll be a guy that will push himself into the the lineup in some way, shape, or form. Um, and I think he's a, he, he can make some plays. I don't really know – I don't really feel high about any of the freshmen coming in and being an impact guy. So I think he can make a, make a splash. But I also think that Evan Conley – like you guys pointed out earlier, if they don't get to to bowl eligibility, I think he's going to get a shot, and I think he's going to impress. I think he's going to play well. He knows the offense well. I think he's got coming in in the spring, help him out. I think he's got a good skill set. He's got talent around him. He doesn't have to do it all on his own. I think he's going to make some plays for him. Uh, I'm going to cheat a little bit, so I'm I'm not going to go with like a true freshman. I'm probably going to go with uh. A redshirt freshman, uh, probably Javion Hawkins. Just okay. Well, 
I'm just saying. Dude, you don't get to provide an answer, an <laughs> explanation when you pick somebody who's already no. played in the game. Presley, who do you pick? I'm going to go with Aiden Robbins. <laughs> I well, think that, that was going to be my second choice. No, it okay. wasn't. Yeah. Stop oh, it. Oh, really? Because I have him on the screen right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Check the receipts. Aiden no, Robbins, for, for reasons that we pre- previously stated, I think that um, he brings a lot of versatility in, in that he um, has the size right away to play. Um, I think that he showed that he's a good he's a good blocking back um, out of the backfield, and I think that if, if there's any injuries up front, particularly to Day Williams, that he could be a guy that could step in and fill that role right away. Yeah, I'm I'm Keith, man. I'm right there with you. I wrote this morning that Zach Edwards is the only freshman that I can see that could start. But aside from Evan Collins, who could start a game this year, the dude can play just about every position in the front seven, maybe outside of nose tackle. He's polished for being, uh, you know, a freshman. He, the offers show that he has a lot of talent. Choosing Louisville over LSU and Texas A&M, I, I think there's a chance that he could start maybe by, you know, the middle of the season, depending on what position he's at. Uh, the kid has got a lot of talent. Grad transfer that makes the biggest impact. Uh, I think T.J. McCoy is going to win the starting center spot. Um, I really like watching what I saw out of him uh, down at Florida. I think he. Uh, he one thing he does really well that Louisville has struggled with, whether it be Robbie Bell, Cole Bentley, Tobias Hughley, is getting the snap off and getting to your block. And he does that really well, and you have to do that really well in this wide zone scheme. Uh, you know, you've got to move. And I think he did that really well. I, I, I It was the thing that stood out to me. So I think he's the best fit at center. I don't know if that means moving Bentley to guard, if you know, somebody moves a tackle. It's a it's a good problem to have because you can you know you might have six guys or seven guys, and that's a good problem as opposed to just saying, hey, we only have four or five guys, and this is who we're stuck with. But I, I think he's he's a he's a veteran player. He's got the talent. Um, he's got the experience, and you know I think he's the best fit, and I think he ends up being the guy starting against other Dame. Alex, uh, I'm I'm gonna go with Ty Tyler. I. I'm pumped to see him on the defensive side of the ball. I definitely think, uh, since we're talking about depth and everything else, I just want to see what he can do. Um, obviously, I've, I've watched film from him from Marshall, but, yeah, I'm, I'm pumped. He's pumped. We're all pumped. I, I can't get out of my head. We we posted <laughs> the original article after he committed, and we called him a sack artist. And somebody was like, I bet he's another kind of sack artist. <laughs> <laughs> well, how do you come back from that, man? I'm like, all right, buddy, you're – Probably right. Well, right. No, like, Ty Tyler's also been super like involved. Uh, like he's read our articles. He he might have listened to a podcast or two. Like he's super in- involved on Twitter as well. So I like I, I enjoy talking about him because then half the time he actually responds. So it's one, pretty nice feeling. I gotta make sure I just keep my p's and q's with him. Yeah. I'm gonna go Isaiah Hayes. I think that's a name that people need to get to know. Not only is he a graduate transfer, but I'm kind of cheating here because he's actually eligible for two years, uh, which is which is pretty exciting. Uh, I think this guy that's going to come in, he has a chance to win a starting spot right away. Um, he didn't get to play a lot in his time as, at Arizona. He was uh, constantly hurt, which is obviously the biggest worry for him. But if he can stay healthy, this is a guy that's going to be able to come in uh, and contribute right away. Yeah, i got to go Ty Tyler. It makes too much sense. They they combined last season for thir- 11 or 13 sacks. The guy brings in eight of his own. I think that it makes too much sense that he's going to come. And I don't like that he's here so late. I wish he would have gotten here at least a couple of you know weeks or months earlier. Uh, but I still think that by the season's end, he's going to be one of the top defensive linemen. All right, Keith, last one. I think you should probably know what's coming here. Prediction on record at the end of the season. Um, 
You know, the the more time that goes on, I, I feel more confident about them stealing a couple more wins. Um, I've been pretty steady at four four wins, so was it four and eight? Um, I think they can steal the NC State win. I think a team like Boston College, who has new coordinators on both sides of the ball, um, has no receivers to throw to, lost a bunch of offensive linemen, lost a bunch of defensive players. You know, from a pretty good defense. Um, you know, it sucks to kind of look at the things of like, hey, these other teams are bad, so that might be a chance for Louisville to win. But as time goes on, I'm starting to feel more comfortable or more confident in Louisville being better than I at least thought they were going to be this year. A guy like Isaiah Hayes coming in and being able to secure and be a steady force at a spot that was a question. A guy like Ty Tyler that can provide depth. Monty Montgomery, TJ Hole, who are going to allow them to keep CJ Avery and Dorian Edwards fresh. TJ McCoy coming in. I mean, you, you look at it all and it's like, okay, they, they've really done a good job of remaking this roster where they don't have as many questions there, which is my biggest concern about, okay, well, who's going to play this position? What happens if this guy gets, gets hurt? What happens in a close game when you're getting the 80 snaps and you don't have anyone else to play? They have answers to those questions now, so I'm starting to feel a little bit better. Um, I think they're going to do some really creative things on offense with Tutu Atwell, getting him the ball in space as opposed to running him down the seam like Bobby Petrino did. Um, they're going to be able to do better things with the offensive line. So I think four wins is, is, is a safe bet, at least in my opinion, and I'm starting to think that they could actually make a bowl game and, and – Instead of stealing some of these games, they're going to go into them maybe as a as a favorite in some of these games later in the season, and maybe they're stealing a game like an FSU or maybe a Wake Forest, and they can beat an UK and an NC State maybe. So I, I see four, but I could see six. Ooh, my window. Okay, I'm going five. <laughs> I, I'm going five is the is like the for me like my hope and then i think we can still maybe steal a sixth very tough to let's do. commit commit to a number i know going, come on i'm going man. five realistically i don't want to i don't want to get my own hopes up but like i did write an article saying we would go six and six and get a bowl game but yeah i, I think five five is realistic it my prediction's in writing already uh six and six is my prediction i think that really there mm-hmm. so there's I think that there are four or five games on the schedule that Louisville is just not going to be able to compete with those teams. Uh, but I think there's also three to four games that, uh, and a couple of them that people aren't really are overlooking a little bit. Like for instance, I I don't understand the the Wake Forest love fest. I don't understand people just riding off NC State and Wake Forest's losses. Um, I, I think that Louisville has a very good chance. At, it, it and at that juncture in the season, I don't even think it'll be seen as, as stealing a game. I, I think that there's talent on this team. Um, and I think that all it's going to take is, is the right mindset. So six and six, my prediction. Uh, it, it, in that case, obviously they go to a bowl game. So I'd say six and seven. I, I'm going to go f- five and, and seven, and I think that they're going to they're going to have to get close to that five number in the first seven games. I think right. they have to. Obviously, you you don't count Notre Dame as a win. You, you hope that they can get EKU. You hope they can get Western. You you really hope that out of that that Florida State, Boston College, Wake Forest, that they can get maybe two of those. And then from there, NC State, Kentucky, you, you hope that you steal another one. But I think they get bowl eligible. College football is just watering down their 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 bowl system with putting teams in at five and seven. This year I won't be mad because that means Louisville goes to a bowl, which means that Satterfield wins the bowl because he doesn't lose bowl games. 
thank you because <laughs> to Presley going six and seven, I'm like, look at the man's bowl record. Presley. Well, maybe they go you five make it, and seven. You make it to six bowl, and yeah. six, you're getting the bowl game. Okay. Like you're going, you're not going six and six, you're going seven and six. Yeah. That's all it is. All right, guys, it's been a it's been a fun night. Keith, thank you so much for joining us and talking football. It's been a blast, man. Hopefully, you can go and find another radio show to do three more hours with and, and use us as your jumping off. Keith, Keith's going to go watch uh, Hunter Renfro on, on Hard Knocks and just check out film from him in the Clemson days. All right, guys, you can find Keith on, on Twitter at underscore Keith, uh, Keith underscore win, not underscore Keith win, Keith underscore win, deputy editor of Card Chronicle. Thank you all for tuning in. It's been a blast. We'll be back to talk to you next week. Thanks, man.